share this. So anyway, I want you to, first of all, we're going to begin in the beginning. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and I want to share something with you that maybe you haven't thought about before. Maybe you have. I don't pretend to be a uh, innovator as it comes to the Word of God, but sometimes God speaks something to me that, that I have never seen quite before. And uh, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. I hope that doesn't bother you. Uh, but we're going to take a look at uh, the, the end part of creation. God has already created man. And we're going to look in... Um, God had just told, told Adam, uh, and, and just a little Hebrew lesson here, in, uh, in the book of Genesis... Uh, the word Adam is actually a plural Hebrew word, okay? Uh, it, when he said man, uh, when he created man, that word man was a plural word. In other words, it, there was more than one, okay? It wasn't a man singular, but it was man plural. We know this to be accurate because later, after what I'm going to read to you today, we know that God took the rib out of uh, out of Adam and created woman, okay? So we know that there was a plurality of man in, in God's creation. Now, how do we also know this? Because the Bible said that he created man in his image and his likeness. And we know that there is a plurality. Come on, deep theological thinkers. There's a plurality in our Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? So it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that when God created man that there was a plurality of that. Now, having said that, I want to point out something. Because let me just throw this out there. When you think about creation, God put the light in the, in the sky and he said, it's good. Yes. He put the moon, it's good. Yes. He created the, the firmament, it's good. He created the land, it's good. He created the plants and, the, and, and all of the herbs of the, uh, of the thing. All of the creeping things and all the fish and the fowls of the air. And he said, it's good. And then when on the sixth day he creates man, he says, it's good. So what did God ever say was not good? Well, I'm going to show you. There was one thing that God said in his creation that wasn't good. And I want to show you this. I want you to pick up... He told, him, told them not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but that's not my focus. Look in verse 18 with me, please. He says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. This is the only thing about God's creation that when he looked at it, he said, This is not good. Today I want to share with you a message called Created for Community. Created for Community. I love the verse of Scripture in Psalm 68 where God says, He says, God sets the solitary into families. If you think of social justice in the Old Covenant, you always think of two classes of people. Widows, and orphans because they are separated from what makes their watch tick. They're separated from the head of the home. You see, the Bible is clear. Now, I know it's not PC, 
It's not politically correct to say that man was created before the woman. There's an order to it. I, I get that. And, and you know what? Deal with God about it because I didn't say it. God said it, okay? I'm, but, but there is an order to the human family. How many of you know that the God, how God wanted to perpetuate this earth was through man and woman raising children in the, in, in the same way that God created man in His likeness and image? He said, replenish the earth, fill it with my glory. He said, I want you to fill this place, reproduce after your kind, alright? And He said, and, and, and do all of this, okay? And we know that sin messed all that up, right? We know that. But the thing is, is we have, uh, an, uh, when, when we think about widows and orphans, these people are left alone. Yeah. It's a terrible thing to be alone. In fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, but even for those who had a husband to die, God put leveret marriage into the scriptures that said that if your brother has his wife died, that you're to take her to you as a wife. Now, a lot of people think that God promoted polygamy. No, what he was trying to do was sustain family. That's what he was trying to do. To make sure that there wasn't some child that didn't have a father figure in their life. That there wasn't some woman that starved to death and lost the legacy of the man that was in their life. It was an effort for God to sustain and perpetuate what he began in the Garden of Eden. All right. Now I know I'm a little in, in, in a little deep, deep dirt right here. Just hang with me. We're created for community. In fact, if you want to see God get upset, neglect the people who are alone. Neglect the people who are alone. This is one of the reasons why that we were called to Haiti to help the people who couldn't help themselves. The litmus test of a nation is not how much wealth that they can acquire or how successful or what their GDP is. The litmus test of the nation is how they treat their weakest citizens. The disabled, the elderly, the poor, the children. And I'm afraid that our country is not passing a very good test right now. And there are others that are even worse. Trust me when I say that. But what I want to say to you today is that we were created for community. On the day of Pentecost, they were all in one place and in one accord. That means they had the same mindset. Amen. All right? After the Pentecost, when 3,000 were saved, the Bible says that they all came together and had everything in common. It's interesting that there's something about the faith that causes people to come together. Even, Sister Shirley and I were talking about this just a moment ago. That even when the angel of the Lord came and told them that He is not here, He is risen. Now go tell the disciples and Peter. You know why? Because they had went and isolated themselves for fear. Peter had just quit. He says, I'm going fishing. He isolated himself. Because he, his whole world collapsed. This is what happens when we run away from community. Amen. When we run away from the community in which that the common denominator is our relationship in Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, and being found in Him. In Colossians, he says that, that, that we are hidden with Christ in God. Christ who is our life. 
We have no real existence on this planet outside of Jesus Christ. But the beautiful thing, according to 1 Peter, he said, we have been made accepted in the beloved. We are in a family. We are together. In the Lord's Prayer, what's the very first word? Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Come on now, are you with me? Give us our daily bread. Right? There is a there is a community that we're supposed to be in. And what has concerned me as I have looked over the last few years, I feel that we have allowed the kingdom of this world to dictate to us and separate us from the community that is we're supposed to be thriving in. First right. Corinthians chapter 10 says this. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. He says, he said that we should fail not to assemble ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. He said he, he was promoting the value of community. And when I say community, I'm not talking about church on Sunday. That does not equate to community. Relationships equate to community. If the only time you ever spent with your spouse was 90 minutes a week, there's no relationship there. Come on. And relationships require time. They require getting your fingernails dirty. They require, uh, they require uh, transparency, honesty, and a willingness to hold other up. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. For if one falls, then the other can lift him up. And he says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Come on, Bible readers, are you with me? Community. We were created for community. When the enemy tries to sequester us away and isolate us from community, we end up in trouble. We're going to take a look at a couple of uh, examples of that in just a few moments. But I want to really build this point so that I can really get you to buy into where we are as a church world. I believe, in my opinion, for what it's worth. I feel like that we have become politically affected. That now that we can no longer sit and have a cup of coffee with a Democrat. We're either conservative or liberal. We're left or we're right. And the enemy's having a field day like that. Let's just go try to win one of those people to Jesus with our viewpoints at the forefront. We cannot win a world that is broken and needs, because I'm going to tell you something, we got a bunch of Republicans that need Jesus just to back. If you don't believe that, just watch some of their Facebook posts. See, we've become isolated because we've grown into a culture of echo chambers. In other words, we can't be around anybody unless they agree with us. Oh, mercy. It's true. Because guess what? If somebody posts something on Facebook we don't like, you know what we do? 
Unfriend. Isn't that a shame? Yeah. That we can't have any friends that drink beer. We can't have any friends that don't go to church. That we can't have any friends that are Democrats. That we can't have any friends who have bad habits, who take drugs, have tons of tattoos, or whatever. We can't have any friends like that. But let me tell you something. You can't win people you don't know. Why are we running away from the people who are begging for the message of the gospel? Amen. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's not a high spot for Church of God of Prophecy and a low spot for everyone else. It's, it's level. Amen. And I desperately, every single day, need to breathe in God's grace. Yes. Every day. Whoa. I've got to freshly accept the covering of the blood. I've got to freshly acquaint myself with His forgiveness and goodness. I've got to freshly every single day have that in my life. And if I need that, how much more desperately does others need yeah. that? And if I never know them, I never speak to them, I never turn around and maybe see that single mom with that dirty baby in the cart at Walmart trying to figure out if she's got enough money to pay for that. How about just saying, Guys, you know what? This is the love that Jesus said was the fulfillment of all the law. Jesus said, when you love each other the way I love you, then you got it. Then you got it. Okay? Notice he didn't say to speak in tongues. You got it. He said, if you love the way I love, that's it. We're created for community. Do you know the entire beautiful chapter of Luke 15 was predicated on Jesus being criticized for eating with sinners? And you know what the first thing that came out of his mouth was? Listen to this. Which of you having a hundred sheep would leave 99 and go chase after the one that was lost. It's a rhetorical question because the answer is none of them would. It doesn't make financial sense. It's fiscally irresponsible to leave 99 alone to go get one. But Jesus doesn't subscribe to the fiscal chronicles. He subscribes to love driving him to do the unreasonable, to do the unthinkable, to do the unmentionable, to see that that one soul is worth. That's why he says there's more rejoicing over one one sinner that that repents than 99 who need no repentance. We're created for community. And Jesus told us this again and again and again. I love what he told Peter. Peter said, I'm not ever leaving. He said, no, Peter, you're going to deny me. He said, even though Satan has desired to sit his weed, he said, I pray for you. Come on. And he said, when you're converted. <laughs> he didn't say, yeah. You know, we always say have faith in God. God has faith in you. Yeah. He said, when you're converted, go and strengthen your brothers. That's why the angel said, go to tell his disciples, and Peter, 
that I'm alive. Huh? So because we're created for community, it's, I, I'm duty-bound to take a couple of examples and show us some of the problems and the barriers to community. All right? So I'm just going to do a couple of them. Uh, there are several, but I want to concentrate on a couple. So I want to take first a little biographical sketch of Elijah. And I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'm going to take you through a few verses over the next three chapters. Um, Elijah was a nobody. Elijah was a Tishbite. He had no pedigree of ministry. It was like a guy's, it reminds me uh, of, of what Amos said. Amos said, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son. He said, but I was just a humble gatherer of sycamore fruit. <laughs> That's kind of the way Elijah was. Elijah was just known as the Tishbite. That's all the background we have on Elijah. But Elijah hears the voice of God and he goes and tells Ahab, uh, Ahab, no more do or rain till I say so. See you, king. And I'm sure the king got a big kick out of that for a while. Until it didn't rain anymore. And they said, oh, wait a minute. What's going on? So Elijah had started in this first Kings chapter 17. And uh, God began to do all these miracles with him. And God began to validate him as the prophet. He goes down to Zarephath. You know the story. God took care of him at the brook of Cherith. Then he goes to Zarephath and the widow woman made him, makes him a little uh, cake. And, and, and she is able to be sustained throughout, throughout the whole drought, uh, the whole three and, three and a half year drought. And then we go over to 1 Kings chapter 18. If my thing will do it. All right, here we go. And he goes and presents himself to Ahab and uh, and. and and he, had, he went to Obadiah, who was a man of God, and he, he went to him and he says to him, he says, he says Obadiah, I'm going, I, I want you to go tell Ahab I'm here. And Obadiah says, now I know how you Pentecostals are. He said, you're going to say that, and then the Holy Ghost is going to take you somewhere else, and then I'm going to end up holding the bag here, and I'm going to end up getting killed. And he says, no, no, you, you, go, you go do it. And he said, and it's going to be all right. Well, you know the story of what happens. They end up having the whole Mount Carmel experience, right? I want to take you to that passage, and I want to show you something that the Holy Spirit showed me that I'd never seen before. I want to say this before I read this. I want you to open up your mind and let yourself think a little differently about this passage and about Elijah. I think if we're not careful sometimes, James, that we look at Old Testament characters like they're flawless. And we put them on a pedestal. And we don't see their own insecurities and their own issues and their own mistakes. And I think that's a huge mistake. Guys, the Old Testament should always be viewed through the lens of Jesus. Always. They should not be put on the pedestal. Instead, they should become the pedestal on which Jesus is shown. Would you agree with that? I'm going to show you something I believe that Elijah wrestled with and it manifested itself in his prayer and it caused him to end up in a cave. I want to show you this. All right? And because we're talking about created community. All right? Created for community. All right. So um, look in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, 
that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he said, It is not I that have troubled Israel, but is your father's house. And that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all of them at Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah said, look at this. I want you to listen to what he says. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Now I want you to look at this next verse. And Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Now, Bible readers, we already know that that's inaccurate, isn't it? Right? Because we already know, this is the problem sometimes with our Bible reading, the reason why we don't pay attention to verses like this is because we already know the end of the story. Now, in, in, at my school, I teach history. And I tell kids all the time, I said, the reason why many people don't understand history is because they already know the end. For instance... When we read the story of Lazarus, it's hard for us to feel why Jesus wept because we already know the end of the story, right? We already know. We can't feel what the disciples, how confused they were while they delayed going to him because we already know the end of the story. But I want to show you something here that I believe is a weakness in Elijah that caused him to end up in a cave and caused him to forfeit his ministry. I want you to look at this, okay? Just bear with me. I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, and Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, he's giving credit to God, but he's putting himself in the crosshairs here about his position with God. He has not given any consideration that there's another soul on planet Earth who loves God. This is a plot of the devil for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God, who is faithful, will make a way for your escape that you may be able to bear it. The enemy wants you to feel like you're alone. That you are separated, that you're isolated, and that you have no choice but to bow the knee to him. Now we know that when Jesus was sequestered in the wilderness, how he, he, he defeated that. But if we're not careful, we let the devil isolate us from the people who can keep us encouraged in the Lord. We're created for community. And I want to show you what happened what the progression of Elijah was. See, God can still do incredible things in your life. Amen. And he, he, and he can, and you can struggle with being separated from community. I want you to watch this. So you know the story of what he did. He goes up, he, and the prophets of Baal jump up and down. You know the story. I don't have to repeat it to you. Then it comes back to Elijah. And Elijah built the, built the altar back. And I want you to skip down to, let's see, verse 36. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known, look at this, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I believe this reveals an insecurity in Elijah. I believe this shows an insecurity in him that he needed to be acknowledged as the prophet of God. Look at what he says. And that I have done all these things according to your word. Never seen that before, huh? Me neither. As I begin to wrestle with this this sermon, I had a hard time embracing this. But I believe that you will see here that there is validity to this. So he says, hear me that they may know that you are the Lord God and they turn their hearts back to you. We know that the fire failed, consumed them. They ended up killing the prophets of the Baal and all this kind of stuff. You know what happened? He, the, 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 the rain came, the, he ran, uh, uh, I think it was 30 miles or something like that. Uh, out and, and I mean, God just, boom, it's boom. Great Pentecostal service, right? And then the next chapter, Jezebel puts a contract on his life. And he says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be as those prophets. You're going to be a dead man. And she puts a contract out on him. All right? And look at verse 3 of chapter 19. And when he saw that, what? That Jezebel was determined that, that the fire on Mount Carmel didn't work. The miracle didn't work. Everybody did not turn to God. I can't tell you how many times I've went away from a revival or from a church service and I preached my guts out. I poured my soul out and nobody responded to the invitation. Nobody uh, and, 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 I would, and I would walk out and I'd feel just like Elijah thinking, oh, that was for nothing. That was a big waste of fire. Woo. Yeah. All right? And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he went a day's journey into the wilderness, sat down under a broom tree, prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. And suddenly angel touched and told him to arise and eat. And he looked and there his head was baked on the coals in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Now I want you to watch this. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because your journey is too great for you. In other words, what he's trying to say supernaturally, I got more work for you to do. I got more work for you to do. Now, you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I do not believe what he ended up doing was what God's plan was for him. I really don't. God loved Elijah. But I believe God was still going to use Elijah to do something. I'm going to try to prove that to you in just a minute. He came back to him the second time and said, Rise and eat because your journey is too great for you. Why would he say that your journey is too great for you if he didn't have more plans for him? Come on. Come on. Don't just read this with your old eyes. Read this with a fresh set of eyes. 
So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Horeb, this is interesting. Why would he go back there? Why would he go to Horeb? Why would he go to Horeb? Think about this. What do we know about Horeb? The great event of the law was given there. This is where Moses saw God's face, or saw his backside, I should say. This is where he was put in the cleft of the rock. After he says, show me your goodness, he says, no man can see me and live. He said, but I'll put my hand over you in the cleft of the rock. And he said, and I'll pass by you and you can see my goodness. All right. And we know that it affected Moses so much that when he comes down from the mountain, he was shining. He was shining. All right. So this is where he goes. And he went into a cave. Everybody say cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here? Unlike Moses who had went up there at the word of the Lord and had saw God's goodness, Elijah had given up and went up and hidden in a cave for his life. Look at this. We're created for community. And he's ran away from all community. He didn't have any idea that there was a community. And he said, I have been, look at this. I have been very zealous from the Lord of hosts and for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life. The devil had convinced him or his own fear and insecurity had convinced him. Or a combination of the two had convinced him that he was alone and the numbers were insurmountable. The situation was impossible. Let me tell you what isolation will do for you. It will cause you to lose hold of every shred of faith that you have that God can do the impossible. If you want to maintain your faith in the, in, in the, in the God of the impossible, you have to stop running and hiding every time you face an obstacle. Amen. And he, he looks at this situation and he says, I am alone. God, can't you see this? And so God gives him a little test. He says, go out and stand on the mountain. And I think, let's keep this in context. Remember where we are. We're on Horeb, where God showed himself to Moses, okay? Where there was fire and lightning in the story of the giving of the law. Come on, Bible readers, back in Exodus. This is in his mind. He's been told this since he was a child. And here he is back here, hiding in a cave. And look at this. It says that there, that, that um, he says, hang on a sec. I mean, and he said, there the, he said, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. In other words, he didn't see any of God's goodness. You know why? He couldn't. Because it said the Lord passed by. By the way, I'm just getting this as the Holy Ghost is giving it to me, by the way. Y'all are getting the first hearing. Praise the Lord. He said the Lord passed by. 
and a great and strong and wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks and peaks. But the Lord wasn't in the wind after the wind and earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake after the earthquake of fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So, in other words, there was some similar movement as the Lord passed by. But Elijah couldn't see God in any of it. And then, a still small voice. And when he heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He was expecting. Listen, are you ready? Why did he wrap his face in a mantle? Because he was expecting to see something when he came out of the cave. Because he knew that no man could see God and live. The voice let him know that God hadn't given up on him yet. So he wraps his face so he couldn't see whatever it was that was on the outside of that cave. <laughs> he wraps his face and he goes out. And he, and, and, and he said, he says, and he, and, and he said, the voice came and says, what are you doing here? And again, he says that I alone am left in verse 14. And he says, now that I've seen after I have spoke to you that you're dead set on being alone. This is what I want you to do. Now, I'm not going to read this, but I'm going to tell you what he's told him to do. He said, I want you to go and anoint Jehu, king over Israel, Hazel, king over Syria. And he said, I want you to go and anoint Elisha, your prophet, in your stead, in your room, in your stead. Elijah had such an anointing on his life, it took two kings and a new prophet with a double portion to replace him. That's the kind of... Uh, this is why that when Jesus came, they said, Behold, Elijah is here. Because that's where he came to. But we have to understand that when we look at the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, in light of making sure that it's a pedestal to see Jesus, that, that he said, A greater than Elijah is here, is what Jesus said. A greater than Elijah is here. And we see that this being sequestered and feeling alone. And look at what God said to him after he gave him his instructions. After he gave him his instructions, he says, By the way, I have 7,000 people reserved that have never bowed their knee to Baal nor kissed his image. So you're not alone. Amen. But can I, can I give you this as an encouragement? Despite the fact that I believe that Elijah's own insecurity and need for validation affected him and he forfeited the fulfillment of his ministry. I personally believe that God turned this thing around to show us that we are the modern day Elisha with the greater than Elijah double portion on our lives. But this is the beauty of it, that God said, you know what, you're not going to get a regular funeral like everybody else. I'm going to take you up into heaven. Wow, that sounds like somebody I know. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus. See, what happens, we can get this insecurity thing and we can, we can be convinced that nobody knows what we're going through and we're alone. Look at Jonah. The fourth chapter of the book of Jonah is an amazing chapter. When, when Jonah had went and preached finally to the people of Nineveh and they repented in sackcloth and ashes, Jonah goes, he's mad. Yeah. He's mad. And, and, and God said, what are you doing here, Jonah? Why? Are you, do you think it's right for you to be angry 
about the fact that a whole city, I mean, modern day Turkey was turned to God. And he said, I know how you are, that you're gracious and you're merciful. I knew that you'd forgive them. And you know what? Jonah didn't want him to. He hated him. He Lord, help, Come me, on. help me preach this. Come on. He wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them exterminate. Because they didn't deserve the good news. They didn't deserve the gospel. They didn't deserve mercy. They were a wicked, chaotic people that thought of nothing but idolatrous things. And God sent him to a people that Jonah had learned And even after he had seen, I know that a lot of people want to thank all of us in the pulpit that we're just, we're, we're, we're just famous Christians. Forget it. If you really knew the real me, you wouldn't want to listen to me preach. I don't think any of us. Because we all got issues. Amen. And, to say, and for me to stand up here and say that I don't would be the greatest hypocrisy of all. Amen. It's the truth. And I'd say that a lot of us are there. But the bottom line is this. Jonah was conversing with God and Jonah did what? What did he do? He went away from the community. Instead of going rejoicing with the people of Nineveh that just gave their hearts to God, he goes and sits under a door. Pow. As we say in, in Haiti, Booty. <laughs> when we first got to Lady, that the week, but she was a power. The Lord mercy, she was a power. She said, yeah, look, keep bothering her. And I said, Oh booty. Don't be power. And uh, and that's what Jonah was doing. He was booty. And and uh, God said, Let me ask you a question. He said, Was 120,000 people between the right on that man and also much cattle not worse at, at the very least the ever. By the way, you know who he was talking about? 120,000 people who could discern between the right on that man? Sure. Kids don't know between the right on that man. He's a dick, sure. At the very least. Come on. We're created for community. And every time we run away from Every time that we allow anything, any kind of prejudices in our lives about a person's social hierarchy, whether it's their skin color or their manner of life, guys, if we've got barriers to that, what we're doing is we are isolating ourselves away from the community God made us for. And there are people out here, do you know why in Haiti, 60% in Port France, about 2.7 million people live in a city that's about 15 square miles. Okay? 60% of the city, according to an article I read this week, is controlled by gangs. Do you know why that people join gangs? It's been proven. Because there's community there. Do you know why young girls who who don't get loved on by their father? I, I, I would say that my children 
are probably sick of hearing how much I love them every day. You know, I, I'm going to confess something here. Dad was told how much he was loved by his son. He probably was. And he's not been very good at telling us. From what? We always knew about us. He showed it, but he never said it much. Till the last several years. I made my mind up when I had kids, they know the fact that I love them every day. Multiple times a day. Amen. And every time I got a grown son of 31 years old, that every time he gets off phone, he says, Love the Father. Because people will find love somewhere. That's right. They'll find community somewhere. Because it's not good for man to be alone. And if they don't find community, there's good chances that they're going to take their life. Or they're going to run to chaos that's going to destroy them. Nobody can live. The Bible even says no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. We were created for community. We need to identify the isolation. We need to break down the barriers to community. And we need to open ourselves once again and be vulnerable. Amen. You know, when, I didn't mean to preach a lot, I promise. But I got to deliver this baby. Okay? It's almost out. It's almost out. We can swallow it up. <laughs> but um, when, when, when David and Jonathan make a covenant with each other, their bilateral covenant was this. We're entering into a relationship because of love, and that relationship extends past our initial existence. So what happens is, is that you bring all of your assets and your liabilities into that covenant. Which means that now we share them. In Haiti, we have a word for that called Pahaji. Pahaji. So, so everything that is bad in you is now a part of me. Everything that's good in you is a part of me. And we share that. It's shared. We are no longer alone. We're now one. This is what Jesus did for us. Amen. Isaiah 55. Hope that everyone who is thirsty come and buy milk without money. All he wants is what you've got. But I don't have anything of value. You do if you give it to him. Because no matter what junk it is in your life, he embraces it, he uh -huh. redeems it, and he transforms yeah. it. Yes. That's what he does. That's who he is. Amen? That's who he is. That's right. That's the beauty of faith in Christ. When we come to him, we bring him all our junk. He loves us so supremely that he immediately transforms it into beautiful grace. Ooh, yes. Beautiful love. That's that's the good news, friends. <laughs> that's the news. Hallelujah. And I tell you, that's what will make people want to come and be in community with you. Amen. Think about this. I drove by so many churches. What can Portland Church do to make themselves stand out? 
realizes that our common denominator is one thing, one thing only. It's Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand there. Father, we're so grateful for your grace, for your love, your mercy. Lord, we can never repay who you are.